everyone. Uh, great to have you this morning. My name is Johnny, uh, pastor here. Um, I think we need to pray, don't we? Uh, I need to pray. Uh, these are hard words. I keep feeling like I say this every time we come to Joshua. These are, these are hard things that we are thinking about, but important things nonetheless. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we know that you are the God of love, compassion, kindness, mercy, and grace. And therefore, we pray that we would read these words as coming from a God who is full of mercy, grace, compassion, and love. Teach us more of yourself and teach us more about our own selves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy of joys, we have uh, rooted in with us uh, this morning. Great to have you guys here. Um, And one little question. This is a tricky one, isn't it? But anyway, how is God's judgment also God's mercy? Okay, how is God's judgment also God's mercy? And the great thing about this question is you're not going to get the answer until right at the end. So listen all the way through. Actually, I just basically said you can sleep for most of it and just wake up at the end. Either or, either or. Now, during... um, a, a, a battle or a fight, if you're in a kind of a war uh, situation, there's, there's probably only one other thing more worrying and terrifying than the enemy in front of you. It, it is the enemy within, isn't it? it? It is the traitor, the spy, someone who is looking to bring you down from the inside. Well, what you have here with Israel is that they are at war, They have been given this land of Canaan. They need to remove people from it. There is fighting to be done. They have enemies in front of them. But even more terrifying than the enemies in front is the enemy within. And that is what we're going to see this morning. First up, don't let defeat lead to despair. Do not let defeat lead to despair. So after their comprehensive victory over Jericho, Israel moves to the next city. And to start with, it all seems very straightforward. The city of Ai isn't a big place. It doesn't need the whole army to go out. So a small unit is sent instead. But it ends in tragedy, verse 4. About 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. You were with us last week. This is a complete turnaround, isn't it? Before, it was the people of Canaan whose hearts melted with fear at the thought of Israel. Now it is the hearts of Israel. And the thing is, we know why. We know what's gone wrong. We were told in verse 1, the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord told his people, do not take the plunder from the city of Jericho. But Achan took some. So we know why the Lord allowed Israel to be defeated, but Joshua doesn't know. He doesn't realize it's because of sin. And so look how he responds, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. The picture is Joshua and the elders of Israel are in mourning. They are grieving. But they're not grieving over sin because they don't know that Israel have sinned. 
No, this grieving, this mourning, is about despair. One defeat, one setback, and they think it is all over. It's kind of comical, isn't it? This is basically me with any kind of DIY project. Get your tools out, ready to fix something, make something. Got your YouTube video on show. You can, you can do anything with YouTube, apart from when you can't. And it's the moment that it goes wrong that I start falling into this kind of trap of despair. What is the point? And for Joshua, it's not just despair, it's grumbling as well. Listen to verse 7. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Do you hear what Joshua is saying? If only we had stayed on the other side of the Jordan. If only we hadn't believed that you would give us this land, then we'd be okay. Joshua is beginning to sound like the mumbling, grumbling Israelites who had been freed from Egypt, but while in the desert, they longed to go back to Egypt. One defeat, one setback, and Joshua falls into despair and worry and grumbling. The thing is, we are all prone to this, aren't we? In our own life, we experience a setback, a knockback, a disappointment, and immediately we think, well, it's all over. There's no point carrying on, is there? I'm a useless parent. There's no point working at this marriage. Why should I bother trying to save this friendship? I might as well pack in teaching altogether. And we grumble against God. But then perhaps more significantly to this chapter in the life of the church you know at the moment the world feels more and more in the ascendancy and the church feels weaker and weaker things don't seem to be going the way that perhaps we as Christians would want things to go and it can create in us this defeatist demeanor a grumbling joyless heart but that shouldn't have been Joshua's demeanor and it should not be ours either Listen to what the Lord says, verse 10. Stand up. What are you doing with your face on the ground? Sometimes the Lord is full of compassion. Always he's full of compassion. But you know, sometimes his responses are gentle and gracious. Sometimes the the Lord, though, is much more to the point. What are you doing, Joshua? Don't be so ridiculous. Are you seriously ready to throw in the towel because of one setback? Have you forgotten the defeat of Jericho? Have you forgotten the miraculous crossing of the Jordan? Have you forgotten that I am the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth? Get up and get on. It is not over. Sometimes that's what we need to hear, isn't it? Get up. Stop wallowing in self-pity and despair. Stop being ridiculous. I've got to say, this is Laura's particular spiritual gift. She can do compassion, but she's very good at calling me ridiculous when I start despairing because of some small setback with church life. Brothers and sisters, whatever setbacks or defeats we personally face or the church in this country experiences, don't let our response be despair and despondency and self-pity and grumbling. Hear what the Lord says. Get up and get on. It is not over. 
Don't let defeat lead to despair. Sam Keyes shared a blog post with me this week. And at one point, the writer is calling on Christians to stop being so defeatist. And they say, and it'll be on the screen, for all their raging, the nations will become the possession of Jesus Christ. Whatever our weakness and apparent defeat, the resurrection will vindicate every act of Christian faithfulness. On Sundays, we do not gather as a worry-wearied band of survivors. Let us come together to celebrate the victory of Christ, the freedom found in his service, and the joyful news that Jesus is Lord. Don't let defeat lead to despair. Get up and get on because it is not over. Secondly, the other thing we discover as Israel deal with the enemy within, is not to let disobedience hide idolatry. So Israel have lost in battle, and we know why. Achan stole something, he took something that God had told him not to take. And because of that, one man's sin, and the whole nation suffers. 36 are killed, and everyone else Their hearts are melting in fear. At first, it seems that maybe God's response is a little bit over the top to this one man's sin. The whole nation suffers because one man took something he shouldn't have taken. The thing is, what Achan did, taking what was forbidden, it's it's bigger than that. It, It is bigger than the theft. Listen to God's verdict in verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. See what the thing is that God hones in on? Achan has violated my covenant. Achan has been unfaithful to God. Elsewhere, in verse 15, God describes Achan's actions as outrageous. And this language, violated, uh, uh, unfaithful, outrageous, it's the kind of language often used to describe idolatry in the Old Testament. The sin of worshipping other gods. Achan's sin wasn't first and foremost stealing and lying. It was being unfaithful to God. He took what God had forbidden because in his heart he had crowned something or someone as God instead of the one true God. He was a thief because he was an idolater. He was a liar because he was an idolater. And you know what? If we stopped and thought about the ways in which we break God's law why we lie or why we give in to uncontrolled anger or bitterness or envy or whatever it is, if we thought about why we did those things, I imagine we'd probably discover that we do them because in our hearts we have crowned someone or something else other than the one true God as God. The first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, it is first for a reason, because you cannot break the other ones without first breaking that one. So Achan's sin is bigger than theft. He was unfaithful to God. 
In his heart, he worships someone or something other than the one true Lord. And that is why the Lord's response is so strong. Because his glory, his honor, his name is at stake. Back in verse 8, when Joshua was crying out to God in despair, he inadvertently hit on the key issue in all of this. He said to God back in verse 8, What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name, your own great honor? What about your name? What about your glory, God? What will people think about you and say about you if Israel is defeated? What about your name, Lord? And you see, it is exactly because the Lord so cares about his name, his glory, and his honor, that he allowed Israel to be defeated. He could not let the sin of idolatry go unpunished because more than any other sin, it diminishes the honor and glory of God. When our kids uh, were, were younger and we'd go up to Wales for Christmas, lots of relatives would come and visit during that kind of Christmas period and they'd come into the house carrying bags of presents. And it was hilarious watching our children. They kind of knew that they should interact with the relative walking through the door, but they could not take their eyes off of the presence. They valued the presence more than the relative. And you see, when our attention and our hearts are more captivated and excited and controlled by things that God has made, rather than the God who made them, we are valuing the gifts more than the giver. We are saying that the things God has made are more important to me, more worthy of my worship than the God who made the heavens and the earth. See, sexual sin isn't evil and devastating just because it's damaging and disobedient. It is devastating because in our hearts we are saying that sexual gratification and pleasure is more worthy of our devotion than the one true God. Or bitterness and envy. They aren't devastating just because it reveals an ungrateful heart. It is devastating because in our hearts we are saying that the Lord is not enough for us. His glory and his majesty and his goodness and his beauty, they are not enough to make us content. We need something more and if we don't have it, we are bitter and envious. Brothers and sisters, do not miss the link between disobedience and idolatry. That's why there is no such thing as a small sin. Because behind all sin is nearly always the sin of unfaithfulness. The sin of idolatry. A sin that attacks the very name and honor and worth of God. A sin that says the Lord is not worthy of our wholehearted love and devotion and worship. Brothers and sisters, do not miss the link between disobedience and idolatry. Confess your sin and confess the idolatry behind your sin. Third, don't let God's judgment obscure God's mercy. Rooted if you have been asleep, this is the time to wake up. 
But the thing is, God's response to Achan's sin wasn't just a military defeat of Israel, was it? No, his response went further than that. The Lord brings judgment upon Achan and his family. As I said at the beginning, there are lots of hard verses in Joshua. Let me give you some more. Verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, that means his family, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which means to this day. It's hard to read, isn't it? It seems so different to the New Testament. I'm thinking of Jesus. When he's confronted with a woman who's caught in adultery. John chapter 8, I mean, some doubt as to whether it's in the original John's gospel, but it, it fits with the person of Jesus as we know him. In John chapter 8, there's a crowd of people gathered around this woman, ready to stone her. And Jesus says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And of course, everyone slips away and Jesus says to her, has no one condemned you? Well, well nor do I. Be gone and don't sin anymore. In the Old Testament, you get stoning. In the New Testament, you get mercy. Why does the God of the Old Testament seem so, so different to Jesus? Well, of course, it's not as straightforward as that, is it? Jesus is more than capable of condemning. Especially when he's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. At one point, he calls them a band of, or a brood of vipers who won't escape being sentenced to hell. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Jesus can do condemnation, and the Old Testament can do mercy. It is full of mercy. In fact, Joshua 7 is full of mercy. Let me just show you that. First, the Lord shows mercy to Achan. Really? Yes, because he gives Achan the chance to repent and to put everything right. Listen to what God says to the people via Joshua in verse 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan that the Lord chooses shall come forward, family by family. And the family that the Lord chooses shall come forward, man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and done an outrageous thing. Now what's peculiar about this is because clearly already the Lord knows who it is who has committed the sin. Why not just say to Joshua, send in a kind of a crack SAS unit to Achan's tent, grab him, grab the stuff and we'll be done. Why this long drawn out process? Because the Lord is giving Achan every chance to repent before it is too late. Achan, along with everyone else, is given 24 hours notice before all of this happens. 24 hours to own up. He still doesn't own up, but then the process starts. Verse 16 to 19. First, Achan's tribe is called forward. He could have confessed at that point, but he didn't. Then Achan's clan is called forward. He could have confessed then. 
And then his extended family comes forward, and still he could have confessed, but he doesn't. The Lord gave Achan plenty of opportunity to repent. It's mercy. Quick aside, brothers and sisters, let me just say something here. It might be that someone this morning is caught up in sin. Maybe at home you're a controlling husband or a wife filled with bitterness or a child unwilling to listen to your parents. Maybe you're cultivating unhealthy desires or thoughts in your heart. Maybe you're choosing anger and animosity towards a brother and sister in Christ rather than forgiveness. Today, the Lord is giving you an opportunity to repent, to confess your sin, to seek his forgiveness. If you need help, then please do speak to someone. But just like the Lord gave Achan every chance, he does the same for us today. Today is a day of mercy. A chance to come before the Lord and repent. The Lord shows mercy to Achan. But it's not just Achan that the Lord is concerned about. It's all of his people. You see, the problem with Achan's sin is it's the kind of sin that can poison everything and everyone. His sin is described in identical terms to the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you know the story back in Genesis 3, the Lord had forbidden Adam and Eve to take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent tempts them. And they look again at the tree and see that it is good for food or beautiful. And then they desired or coveted the forbidden fruit. And then they took it. In Joshua, the Lord had forbidden Israel to take any plunder from Jericho. But listen to Achan in verse 20. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon... Babylonia, I coveted and I took. Adam and Eve saw something beautiful that was prohibited. They coveted it and then they took it. Achan sees something beautiful, same word, that was prohibited. He covets it and he takes it. Achan's sin is Genesis 3 all over again. A sin that ruined everything the first time round. And if it is the Genesis 3 story being played out again, Achan is not only playing the character of Adam and Eve, he's also playing the character of the snake, Satan himself. Because his name means serpent. You see, if the Lord does not stop Achan like the serpent in the garden, he will poison everything and everyone. Achan is the enemy within. The Lord created a beautiful home for Adam and Eve to live, and then the snake came along and poisoned it. The Lord has just given Israel a new home to live in, and Achan is another snake poised to poison everything. That is why he must be stopped. During an outbreak of the Black Death in 1665, a tailor in a small village of Eam in Yorkshire, was unloading a cart of blankets that was infested with fleas that had just been transported up from London. 
And those fleas were carrying the black death, the plague. Within a month, the tailor was dead along with 29 others. And remarkably, to protect the bigger cities of Sheffield and Manchester, the people of Eam decided to cut themselves off. And after 14 months, 250 of the 800 residents died, but the poison, the plague, did not spread. You see, the Lord isolates Achan. He cuts him off to stop the poison spreading. It is a severe mercy. It is severe. Achan is burned and stoned. But it is a mercy. The Lord does it in order to protect his people from a poison that would kill them all. And you could be thinking, look, well, that's all very interesting. Kind of helps me understand Joshua 7 a little bit more. That's great. What on earth has that got to do with us? Well, it is a severe mercy that the Lord continues to use in his church today. In the New Testament, Jesus tells local churches to remove people from the church if they are in unrepentant sin, like Achan. That's what happens to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They try and deceive the church. They lie in order to further their own fame. But before they can do untold damage and cause the gospel and the church to be stunted and stopped, Just as the Lord removed Achan, so Ananias and Sapphira dropped down dead. It is a severe mercy. Severe on Ananias and Sapphira, but a mercy to the rest of the church and the gospel. And Jesus commands his church to do the same. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians that some are ill and have died because of their unrepentant sin in the church. It's a fearful thing, isn't it? And Jesus commands his church to remove someone who is in unrepentant sin to stop the poison spreading. And that's something we're committed to doing at Redeemer. We hope we never have to. But if someone in membership continues in sin and is unwilling to stop, unwilling to repent, then eventually... Together as a whole church, we will have to remove them. And we'll do it because we love Jesus. And we don't want his name to be dishonored by someone claiming to be a follower of Christ, but not living as a follower of Christ. And we will do it because we love those who aren't Christians. We don't want them to be put off Christ because they see someone claiming to be a Christian who is living hypocritically. And we'll do it because we love the church. We don't want the poison to spread so that others are caught in sin and dragged away from Jesus and the gospel. And we'll do it because we love the person. Maybe the shock of being removed from membership will cause them to see the seriousness of the situation, the danger that they are in, and so come back to Christ and back into their church family. It is a severe mercy, isn't it? Severe because we are removing people from the church. But a mercy because we are stopping the poison from spreading. 
Don't miss God's mercy in God's judgment. But brothers and sisters, I don't want to end there. As we finish, as we come to the Lord's table, know this. We've already said that we are all guilty of the sin of Achan, the sin of idolatry. But we don't have to share the judgment of Achan. When we confess, when we repent, another suffers the fate of Achan. Jesus is the one who stands in our place. The burning anger of God falls on his son. He was removed from his people and cut off and crucified outside the city walls so that we can stay within the people of God. So because we eat and drink in a few moments' time, as we do so by faith and with a repentant heart, be assured of this. Because of Jesus, you belong here. Because of Jesus, you are not cast out. The death of Jesus is a severe mercy. A mercy to us. A severity to Christ. We need to be aware of the enemy within. An enemy that might cause defeat, but let's never allow defeat to lead to despair. Let's not let disobedience hide our own idolatry And don't let God's judgment obscure God's mercy. I'm going to quiet, then I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, gracious God, our hearts are turned towards your Son, the Lord Jesus. The fate that fell on Achan, although it seems so horrific to us, was nothing compared to the fate that fell on the Lord Jesus. The blows that we should have received, he received. The anger that should have fallen on us fell on him. And we stand here within the surrounds of your love, part of your family. Because for a time, for a moment, the Lord Jesus was cast out. We praise and thank you for him. And we pray that with hearts set on him, we would seek to follow him wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen.